Welcome to the Broad Story Project. In these times of COVID-19, the world is a crazy jungle of contradictions. One place Broads instinctively turn to for solace is our memories, stories from our pasts that have shaped us and remain part of us, defining what we value and what gives us joy. Suez Jacobson leads this project. She is a writer, the executive producer of the film Wild Hope, and serves on the Broad's board of directors. Hello, welcome to our podcast. Today we're talking with Barbara Jacobson. First, she's just going to tell you a little bit about herself. Hi, Barbara. Hi, good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. So tell us a little bit about where you are and your background. You know, I am in Prescott, Arizona which is good because I can be outdoors year-round. I have been here, gosh, 46 years from Ohio, where I first went to school and was raised and then born in New York. So I've gradually worked my way west, and I love the west. So I have a background as a nurse, teacher, social worker, counselor, all those kinds of things, and also a lover of nature. Well, how did you get involved with Broads? I ran into some people in town who were involved, and I had been a lifelong Sierra Club member probably 30-some years, well, probably almost 40 years now. And I wanted an organization that was smaller and more receptive to ideas and activities, you know, on a smaller level, you know, where people get together in smaller groups and are like-minded and work together. And I thought the Broads would be a good place for that. Well, I think you're right. It's great to be with a group of women who have similar objectives and and like to get outdoors, as we said. You've got a special story for us today. Tell us this story. You know, this story has to do with land and people because I have humanitarian efforts that I work on, too, and I just see how the two go together. As far as I can remember, I have always wanted to go to Africa and Tanzania especially. Finally, in 2008, I got an opportunity to go to Africa, my first big trip overseas, and I chose the country where I believe life began, Ethiopia, and it's also one of the poorest countries in the world. The next trip I took overseas wasn't until 2013, and that was my paternal grandparents' homeland, Norway, the wealthiest country in the world. So I had that contrast, and of course, that's another story. My mother was dying at the time I went to Ethiopia in 2008. I got sick probably from a side effect of a yellow fever shot I'd gotten, and I delayed the departure in almost the whole trip. But with her insistence and her hospice pastor, I went alone all the way to Addis Ababa. The rest of this mission group had gone ahead to teach about HIV to ministers. Then we were to tour the poorest areas, work in an orphanage, and visit not only a rural hospital, but some of the richest cultural sites I'd ever seen, where Lucy came from, and the ancient Lalibela, plus where the Ark of the Covenant is believed to be stored. It was really pretty cool. In the Rift Valley, in that beautiful view, I knew this was where I was from somehow, somewhere, some way, hundreds of thousands of years ago. And National Geographic DNA has proven that. That's just a wow to me. I felt the connection to the soil and the land even there. So since I was about 17, I wanted to do medical care in Africa, but the Peace Corps wouldn't take me without a skill. Imagine that. I got a nursing degree, and somewhere along the way, I decided to quit studying once I graduated and earned some real money. So I left home, came across the country, and became an employed, not a volunteer nurse. 
But some of that learning and those early, those short-lived nursing skills, I didn't stay long as a nurse, stuck with me and didn't totally dilute through two additional college degrees in counseling and education. Finally, in 2015, I made it to Tanzania, just under 40 years since I'd been wanting to. But life happens. And as I promised elder friends of mine that same year, I returned to Ethiopia also on another trip, again to Ethiopia and two times to Africa in that year. My daughter was a little aghast. Mom, you're going twice? It was one of the best years of my life. An email had come through in January of 2015 about a June educational safari. And I thought, how does one fathom spending that kind of money for two weeks bouncing around the back country of Africa in a vehicle while looking for strange and wild animals, all while one's doctor is saying, you can't even go. Well, I swear, while I was kayaking alone on a lake that cold January morning after receiving that email about the safari, I consulted my dear departed and fiscally conservative father, and I swear I heard him say, go for it. So I sought further and wiser medical advice, and I went for it, and I never looked back. Scared to death I was, for after the two-week amazing safari, I volunteered to live inexpensively with an African family and work with an HIV orphanage as a nurse consultant to their volunteer caregivers in the rural area. These local people had been trained to check up on hospice patients at home all over the rural area outside of Arusha. What I didn't know at the time is I was to ride two to three terrifying tiny Toyota buses crammed full of people over an hour each way from the home I lived in to the orphanage and back each day. And on most days, walk also from the orphanage housing 18 to 25 HIV kids into the rural area and around Arusha and visiting hospice patients in their homes. An amazing 25-year-old social worker named Alan was my guide and instructor that month, as we often walked five to eight miles per day. I was encouraged to carry a stick in case a very poisonous black mamba snake came out of the rows of corn we walked through, but I never saw one there. We had only Tylenol or vitamins to give dying patients from TB, HIV, or heart disease. What I learned about being present was immense. Being present in a natural environment and with people that summer. Being invited into a home was both an honor and a privilege and a lesson in listening and in humility. Their stories humbly told were seldom of woe, no matter how difficult their existence. Two stories do stand out, though, as exceptions. One of the first and the last patients seen that month. The first was a Maasai family with a 21-year-old daughter with a heart condition. You talk about feeling helpless. With no money, although they would often need to sell what few vegetables they grew on their dry land for some cash, and no way to get her that long, long way into the city for the clinic every month as required, they were desperate. I knew something as simple as a heart medicine digoxin or Lasix, a diuretic, or Indorol, a beta blocker, might help her immensely, but we were powerless to help. Only listen. And we sat outside under a shade tree on stumps and did just that. After weeks of walking and experiencing, the last patient seen was a woman who walked a long way to see us. As the late afternoon light shone on the fields, she clearly was in pain from her long walk and from her lower leg. With that lower leg bandage, she gradually unwrapped it. 
Under the cloth revealed a gaping and old leg ulcer. Diabetic, I asked. Of course, she said. She asked for help. I looked. We talked. We knew. She knew. To go to the hospital meant not only the need for the money to pay, and often if the family did not, the patient would not be discharged. And more importantly, there was a very real possibility they would amputate her leg. Well, I was not a doctor, she asked, and I gave her my gut opinion. We rewrapped her leg, held hands, and cried together. The social worker and I walked the long, solemn way back to the dirt road to catch a bus as the sun was setting in the west. I'll never forget. She walked a further, harder distance home. In a land where nature and animal, animals abound, human tragedy yet reigns. Other help I could give during my short month there was in the form of networking with an organization I knew of. So one night, lying in my bug busy in the home I was staying in, I looked up a program called 10,000 Gardens in Africa by Slow Food International. They reached out, and in that little room on the other side of the world, through a little Wi-Fi SIM card, I was in touch with Helen, a local supervisor of a 10,000 garden. Food, that's what these orphanage kids needed. They barely got rice and beans and a little tea and bread if they were lucky for breakfast, and meat was non-existent. They didn't even have their own cups for tea or water, but had to share, which presented another health problem in itself, as all were susceptible to secondary infections. Even when I bought cups and labeled them, they began to disappear. Personal possessions were quite in high demand, even plastic cups that we toss out. We took a long trip out to the rural surrounding area to Helen's beautiful home and garden where she had donated her land to the 10,000 Gardens program for HIV patients, and it was really an eye-opener. Fresh greens were everywhere, and the smells and the senses everywhere. I learned about the Moringa tree, which offers life-giving support to T-cells, which can be dried for tea and sold for income. With Helen's help and a few dollars from Slow Food for hand tools, we made an attempt at reviving an old garden area at the orphanage. The kids, though they were small and suffering from a disease which could ravage them, made great effort to dig and plant and weed and hoe and water by hand. They'd done this before. A neighbor brought over potato vines, and with Helen's supervision that day, we learned the best way to plant in the non-rainy season in Tanzania. What joy we have digging and weeding and adding seed and vines in the hope that life would spring from the earth. I'd collected water bottles so the kids could water twice a day. It was a chore, but they took it on. We purchased and planted moringa trees and others. The large rain barrels were not functioning, however, and one storage tank that they had had to be filled weekly by a neighbor and was often dry before the end of the week. The water there was so scarce, there was no toilet flushing or showers inside. I mean, they were there, but you just couldn't use it for that. So the plants got what water there was, and we knew it was a risk. After planting, though, the next day on my return, we found that the goats from next door and the orphanage cow loved the garden as much as we did and could hardly be restrained from their joy of imbibing fresh potatoes, green vines. So it wasn't a complete failure, even as the dry season went on and the plants died, the ones that weren't eaten. The efforts had planted a seed to feed the children with a garden. A few years later, though, I kept trying to get the rain barrels repaired from halfway around the world. Their purchased water became more and more difficult to get, 
out of corruption, greed, and just plain meanness of where the water came from. But alas, a safari customer visited, raised the funds, and a trench was dug by hand to an army installation nearby, and fresh water now abounds. Now they have a huge, lush garden with banana trees and are happily making what Slow Food calls disco soup yearly at an event there. None of this would have been possible without that dedicated heart of the young social worker, who's also the coordinator, Alan, and of course the owner, Augustine, who runs Aardvark Safari, and also a school as well as the orphanage. Wow, that's an amazing story. And so in these times of challenge here when we're facing COVID-19 and racial and economic and environmental injustice, How do these stories put those things in perspective for you? I think they take me to the root, I mean, literally, to the root of what's important to me. And I have to remind myself of that. And sometimes, like this week, I have to switch off the news and not listen to people flailing about in anger and aggression and confusion. But when you're with the animals and then when you're with the children and the families and then when you're with the earth and the garden, you see, I think, the tie-in that happens with all three and the importance of the understanding between those three aspects of the land and the people. We're all one. You know, I just don't work with just the land or the environment. For me, it's connected to the, to the, the animals who are so connected to the land, but then it's it's connected to the people, too. And the people have to be drawn in. And I guess that now that you ask, and I think about it, that is where an organization like Broads or any of the organizations can benefit. I think sometimes they need to recognize that kind of triangle thing I just laid out, you know, wildlife, land, people, how that all interacts and work together. I think sometimes we forget that. But when I think of my experience there, I don't think I can forget it. I don't think I can. Well, yes, it's all one big connected web, that's for sure, and none of the pieces can survive without the interaction of all. And and we are part of nature and can be a wonderful tender of gardens, as you've so aptly described. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It really was wonderful. Do you want to leave us with a few words? I think just, you know, as as I was reminded recently, um, we get busy, we get distressed. I have been, too, with everything that's going on. And I think I walked up my steps the other night, and as the moon rose over the distant ridge, there were two little fawns down below my deck. They've been hanging out there. Mom leaves them there and goes off. And I've been following them for about a month now. But they and I made eye connection. and. I think those moments we have to take and remember our connection to them at that time. And they give us peace. They give us peace. And thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Uh I hope people take it to heart. Well, I'm sure they will. Moving stories. Beautiful picture you just painted of the moon and the fawns. And we're grateful for your Mm -hmm. participation. Well, I look forward to hearing some more stories. So. Thank you. Thank you, Barbara. Don't miss the next episode of the Broad Story Project. You'll find links to other stories on our website under News, 